0: Hello everyone and welcome to Philosophication with Ginger in the Beard. Before this episode, I just wanted to remind everyone that uh, Philosophication.net is up and running, um, in case you haven't seen it yet. There's only one post on there right now, it's about the Iliad, but I'm currently working on one on the Odyssey. Um, It'll be linked in the description in case anybody wants to go check it out. Hope you do. This episode today is a little bit of a continuation of Lonely Beard Number 5, where I read and talked about uh, one chapter of Alexander Solzhenitsyn's The Gulag Archipelago, so uh, we get into that a little bit in this episode, as well as some other things, so enjoy.
1: The views expressed in this show are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of the Department of Defense, Department of the Navy, or the U.S. Government.
0: Yeah, how do you like the hair? Much better.
1: I I like it better. I thought you were starting to look like a dirty, dirty hippie. I know you were going for Viking, not hippie, but still, yeah, you're starting to hate it. So this is yeah, gorgeous, beautiful. Yeah,
0: I I like it, but I'm uh now I'm like George Clooney from O Brother Where Art Thou. Every time I wake up, I'm like, "How's my hair?" <laughs> yeah, and I bet it looks horrible when you wake up, yeah, yeah, it does, yeah, also I gotta like put I gotta put stuff in it, otherwise it'll just look amazingly shitty, okay, well, wow. well, but yeah,
1: it looks good, I do maybe like it maybe anyway, maybe you could finally find a wife
0: yeah, one day, yeah, um well, what do you want to talk about today?
1: Uh well, I guess you already covered a lot of your own thoughts on on the uh Lonely Beard episode you did just recently, but I'd love to uh to kind of
0: revisit that at least briefly with <clears throat> the yeah. yeah, that's so um Yeah, if if for any of our our listeners who haven't seen it I did a, an episode um, recently where I read chapter four of the Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Um, and what made me think of it was what I'm seeing in the, the reactions to the Christchurch shooting. And it happens every time there's a shooting or an act of terrorism like this, where there's basically an expectation on anyone in the public eye, where they're supposed to come out and just denounce the shooting and tell everyone that listens to them how evil and and monstrous the shooter was. And regular people do this, too, like in regular conversations. It's like we call him a monster, we call him a psychopath, whatever. Um, And it's like a knee-jerk reaction that people have that we have to do that before we say anything else about the incident or really. really. Um, And I think it's odd because it's like, no one disagrees with that. That's not a controversial thing to say. Of course it was an evil act. Um, But, you know, I know we talked a little bit on the phone about this yesterday, but I think it's weird. I think it's an indication of how little trust people have in each other today yeah um like think of i think probably even just 10 years ago if you would have asked any random person after a shooting like this you know do you think your political leaders of either party support a terrorist walking into a mosque and gunning down innocent people i think 10 years ago people would have said no of course they don't support that they're they're elected leaders in America. No one supports that. But I think today people's answer to that question would would be: I think a lot more people would say something like, "Well, did they come out and publicly denounce it?" Yeah. And if not, well, who really knows? Like maybe they are for it secretly. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And I find and I find that odd.
1: Yeah, I've always thought that was weird. Like, in fact, what I thought of it this time too. Um, when I saw Mitt Romney, uh, Senator Romney, like, did that, right? And it wasn't, it's not that what he, it's not that it doesn't matter. I mean, he, he's a pretty prominent voice now. I mean, he's a freshman senator, but he's been in politics for a bit. People know who he is. You know, people care what he thinks. But I thought, like, if he's doing it, then doesn't don't all 100 senators have to do it and all, what is it, 435 uh, members of the House have to do it, <laughs> you know? And it's like, at some point, isn't this a little ridiculous? Like, shouldn't that just be the default position? I'm not saying, like, there's anything wrong with denouncing it, but the fact that they're expected to, and they are, uh, like, even, you know, even... It is like a point of critique. It's like a point of criticism when somebody, a politician, doesn't do it fast enough. They're like, why didn't he do it sooner? It's yeah, like, like, like only that, do you not have uh, to do it. You have to do
0: it timely. You that know? synagogue shooting that yeah. happened a while back. Yeah. like People were were criticizing Trump for not denouncing it fast enough or <laughs> in strong enough terms. Yeah, yeah. It's like...
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it should go without saying, and I don't expect politicians to come out and say it. I expect that unless they're proclaiming it to be a good thing, that that's how they feel, because that's, I think, every human being I run into on a daily basis, I'm, I assume that about them, you know what I mean? Unless they give me reason to think otherwise. But yeah, like, and I don't even, I don't, I don't think most people are like that. I think most people think like I just said, you know, it. Like so much of politics today, it's been hijacked by a a relatively small group of very loud, very radical people. And most people aren't like that, but they're kind of, they're more swayable and they're not, they're not going to stand up against it. They're just like not very involved, you know what I mean? So yeah, it seems like this vocal minority of people, probably on both sides, I'm sure, you know, in this case, it was kind of one-sided, but... um, it's like, there's like a vocal minority of people who, you know, who talk like that, who not only do they expect a denunciation, they expect it t- like quickly in the strongest possible terms. And if you don't give them exactly that, then they question your motives. And And then besides, even worse, there's something that's happening, not even, this is a little more mainstream. You see people on the news doing it and, and stuff is... um like immediately after this shooting, every mainstream media outlet was just blaming Trump. They had people on to talk about how much this is Trump's fault. Oh, Trump said this one time, or Trump said that, and he, oh, he's winking and nodding at these uh, Islamophobic folks, and, oh, the Muslim ban, which it was never a Muslim ban, by the way, but the Muslim ban, like, oh, this, this is what happens, right? It's, right. it's. There's a lot to it, but this is stuff that's on CNN, on, you know, MSNBC on on like every major network they're talking like this you know what I mean they're they're blaming rhetoric that has nothing to do with killing people that has nothing to do with violence that has nothing to do with you know uh, extremism but you know they're using it and trying to claim that they're not only are their opponents not sufficiently upset enough when they don't you know, uh, denounce it quickly, but now it's, their opponents are responsible
0: for it. Right. And it's completely one-sided. Like as far as the people are concerned who want to use that argument, who want to say that rhetoric is responsible for those things, it's completely one-sided. Like Ben Shapiro refers to the congressional baseball shooting all the time. Right. About, uh, you know, it was a Bernie Sanders supporter who did that. Yeah. And, you know, if you're going to apply that standard, that uh, rhetoric, that the leader's rhetoric is responsible for acts like that, then you have to apply it equally. And, it's, yeah. and they don't. It's completely one-sided. Like, yeah. Bernie Sanders wasn't responsible for that shooting. And, you know, but Trump is responsible for this shooting. Like, it doesn't. Yeah.
1: And of course, Bernie Sanders was not responsible
0: for that shooting, right? Yeah. Nobody With, was
1: responsible for any of those shootings. Yeah. Like, Except the person who did it. Right. You know? Yeah, that's funny. It's it's not, there's so much to this. Like, like we talked about, there's the the expectation of denou- of denunciation immediately. That's a weird, bizarre thing that's going on. There's the blaming of the other side uh, for like for related rhetoric that is, but that does not advocate for violence and does not in any way push that and. And then there's also this other thing going on, which so I, I see two two big things happening with this Christchurch shooting, uh, which is which is really dangerous and really freaking me out a little. And one is that people are trying to go after guns. Obviously, that always happens. Right. Um, New Zealand did it. And everybody under the sun who you know, has the anti-gun agenda has been proclaiming that New Zealand is the poster boy and that, that we should be like them and, and all that. And then, on, and then the other thing is that people are talking about hate speech again, right? Anytime yeah. people start talking about hate speech, it's not good, all right? And, and, and this is the thing, people, I generally think people, most people, not politicians necessarily, but most people, I think their hearts are in the right place. They don't, they, people, awful people are saying awful things. And that's gross. And we all find that appalling, right? White supremacists out there, you know, saying stuff like that. Um, we all, you know, it is appalling. It is gross, right? Now, someone like you or me would say that's part of it. And we have to live with that. And we have to combat their bad ideas with good ideas, not shut them down. Right. Yep. And and then the other side is also appalled by it but thinks we have to shut it down. And again, I think their heart is in the right place because what they're trying to prevent is something like this shooting, right? They think that if we could just stop all the evil rhetoric, then there will be no more evil people, right? We can just stop evil stuff from happening if no one ever talks about it, right? Um, that's a bit of a straw, man, but that's basically what, you know what it is. And so I always think of this. So anytime you see anybody listening, if you see someone on Facebook or Twitter talking about hate speech or... How, or radicalization, online radicalization—that's a word as a term they're using now, right? This is what happens when people like Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro are allowed to write books and 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 have talk shows and go around. Then people start shooting people in mosques. They they try and make this link. If they start talking like that, ask them, what are you proposing? Just say it. What are you proposing? You know, because that's fun. That's great to talk about. Are you proposing censorship? Are you proposing that a government agency, we maybe we create a whole new one, whose entire job it is to find hateful speech and stop it, right? Or do we just pass a law that, where you can get sued for hateful speech, you know? It's like, or go to jail or whatever. It's like, what are your policy positions? It's the same thing with the guns, right? And I can see this happening more and more with the free speech thing is you have a lot of talking point yelling matches now, just like guns was and still is, right? but you never get policy position because it's so extreme and outrageous that only the most extreme people are actually saying it. You know what I mean? It's almost like that. No one's trying to take your guns thing. You know, people are like we need common sense measures to, to save lives. Now it, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's like that now. Like we need, we need common, common to...
0: sense. We need common sense, free speech restrictions. Exactly. Right.
1: Yeah. And so no one's, I, I just feel like that's where it's going. And, and this isn't even in America. Right. And yet this is worse, you know. This is worse than the synagogue shooting, right? They talked about online radicalization and hate speech with the synagogue shooting uh, a few months ago, right? But this is worse, right? They're talking more about it, and maybe it's because it was Muslims that were that were the victims of this shooting, perhaps. Uh, yeah, you know so-
0: this. Rem- this reminds me of I don't know if you ever listened to that Joe Rogan podcast when he had uh, when he had Tim Pool on with Jack Dorsey and um, I did not. Whatever her, that, that woman's name was, like Vijaya Gad or something. Right. I heard something about like this. that. I saw a clip. Yeah. And, and like, this is, you, you talk about scary stuff. This is scary to me. It's when people like Jack Dorsey, Jack Dorsey has talked in this podcast about how he wants to promote free speech on his platform, on Twitter. And the way he's going to do that is by restricting people's speech. Right. Like he's he has to put put restrictions on people's speech so that other people feel safe to talk on their platform. It's like it's this mental gymnastics where they where they convince themselves that the way we're going to protect speech is by restricting speech. Yeah. And it's like and I've heard I've heard this argument talked about by people, you know, random people for a while. But you know, these are people in positions of power in very powerful corporations like Twitter. Um, yeah. It, it, they have so much influence over the public discourse now. And they're basically pulling some straight up Orwellian doublethink. Yeah. It's like every time I hear that I have a new thing and I've done it a couple times at this point, but I, I have a new thing where every time I hear somebody or see somebody making that argument on social media, I'm just going to post the, uh, in the comments, I'm just going to post the, the quote from 1984, war is peace, freedom is, sl- freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength, yeah. because that's basically what it is. It's like restricting speech is protecting speech. Yeah. War is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Like you, there's no, God, the mental gymnastics there are, yeah. are astounding. Yeah. Yeah. So that's
1: what's, it's so crazy because it's not even in America and it's like, I think it might just be the fact that it was Muslims who were attacked that has these, this same group of people that's always loud and always talking like this, you know, they don't get to talk that as much when it's Jews that are shot down. They don't think of Jews as a protected class that they need to, you know, go fight
0: for and, uh, you know, because yeah. of this hierarchy. Jews are a questions. weird one. Jews yeah. are like, they can be an oppressed minority when they need them to be. Yeah. But other yeah. other times when they need them to be white people, then they're white people.
1: Right, and they kind of were doing that with the synagogue shooting. But this is like so much more of a reaction. And so it was it was funny how, how it took a while for the whole gun control uh, issue to come up because New Zealand is so heavily gun controlled. Right. It wasn't until the prime minister announced their new rules that all the politicians jumped on board and were like, see, this is what we should do. Um, But before that, they weren't being like, you know, oh, if only there were background checks. Of course, it's New Zealand. They have background checks. You know, it's like they have everything, you know. Um, So anyway.
0: um, Yeah, it's almost like the it just took a few days for them to figure out how they're going to spin this into a gun control thing. Yeah. It's yeah. like it's like it took it. It took a few days and they're they're thinking yeah. about, like, how can we make this about gun control?
1: Right. Right. But before that happened, they were already talking about online radicalization. I've seen it from politicians. Right. Like not just the same people you always expect that are always talking about hate speech. Um, politicians are talking about online radicalization. I hate that words or that that phrase that is dangerous. We need to stop talking like that. OK, now. We can address that problem. That is a problem, and, and we can address it, right? But I think, like you've heard in so many different, much smarter people than us say, um, that those ideas only thrive in the dark, and we have to shine light on them. Like, it's better that they have a platform. It's better that we can, you know, if it's hidden underground, right? Like, no it's not exposed to rebuttal. It's not exposed to criticism, right? They find lonely... Uh, dissatisfied, unhappy people, right? And there's no dissenting opinion, right? It's better that it's open. The best, uh, God, what is the idiom or whatever? What is the expression? It's like the best. Disinfectant. Disinfectant Sunlight. is sunshine.
0: Disinfectant. Yeah. yeah, sunlight's
1: the best disinfectant. Exactly, right? So I agree it's a problem and we should address it with debate, with reason, with you know, intellectual honesty. And, and I, I, I want there to be people who devote their time and effort to going and arguing with these people. You know what I mean? Almost like flat earthers or or, any other weirdos, right? Anti-vaxxers. It's anti-vaxxers. Like, there should be people who... And I don't mean trolling them on, on Twitter. I mean like... I don't know. Have them on your podcast. Make them look like an idiot. I would have... If, if Sam Harris has you know, some, you know, KKK grand wizard on his show. How do you think that's going to go? Is that, is that making a platform for the grand wizard or is he going to get smacked down with logic and reason and he would get obliterated, right? That's the best thing that can happen, right? Make him look like an idiot with reason, right? If that, if that KKK grand wizard in that case has any sense, he won't, he will refuse, he will decline to, to be interviewed on that show, Right. He should just see that coming. There's nothing like it's the easiest argument to make that you shouldn't hate people because of what they look like and that we're all basically the same. And that race is basically an invention, you know, and that there's nothing special about your melanin levels or your gonads or whatever. It's, you know, so that's like the easiest argument ever. And people who are afraid to have that argument with white supremacists or with, you know, I don't know are there even male supremacists, whatever, if that's a thing, you know, that, that type of misogyny, uh, maybe that exists, um, whatever, anti anti-homosexual anti-whatever, you know, you can find these people and what could be easier than arguing with those people? You know what I mean? It's like arguing with a flat earther or something. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's, uh, what we, we shouldn't, it only it legitimizes them in in in, this, in the eyes of all of their listeners, all of their followers who who, are, who take them seriously or who are on the fence. It just legitimizes them. It makes it makes them look feared. And you know, in a way, we are afraid of them, right? But it makes them seem more legitimate to their listeners, to their followers, and to the people on the fence. So um we all agree there's a problem with online. You know radicalization but in the in this context people are talking about censorship they're talking about and and the and the and the worst part is they blur the line they give you an example of some blatant white supremacist right who isn't hiding the ball he's not claiming he's not a white supremacist he is and says so and then you lump in there joe rogan or like ben shapiro right
0: or jordan peterson jordan peterson you take his book off your website
1: Yeah. Holy crap. Jesus, dude. Nobody, anyone who who looked at New Zealand, like, so this is funny because this is what happened. They, New Zealand came out with all those anti, with the new uh, gun ban, right? The assault weapons ban. Uh, And and a bunch of left-wing politicians were praising it, right? And now, and then since then, uh, I don't know if it's a government or just, I don't know exactly if it was like a store that decided to do this or the government's involved, but now they're, they're banning books.
0: Yeah, right? it was a store. As far as I know, it, it's like a major, like a major book retailer in New Zealand. They just right. decided to stop selling Jordan Peterson. Right.
1: But you and see it, them- so it
0: wasn't, so it wasn't the government, which is, that's something that a lot of people on the left are saying. They're like, what are you so scared of? The government's not restricting. Oh, yeah. the, the government's not banning books. The problem it's like, is it, yeah. you know, that's why I think this, uh, a lot of it is why I think this is so insidious yeah. because if it were the government doing it, if, if the government were restricting speech the way Twitter is restricting speech, everybody would be all up in arms about it or they would have been a long time ago. Yeah. And, but the fact that it's private companies doing it, it makes it seem on the surface like it's less, like it's less dystopian. Right. But you know, if if these companies have become powerful enough and and gained so much influence over the over the public discourse like Twitter has, there's no difference. It's yeah. like there's no difference between them doing it and the government doing it. Like it has yeah. the same effect. It's a private jackboot, you know,
1: as opposed to a you know, public jackboot. Right. But um I think What I was getting at with that is that uh, the same people who are praising New Zealand as this beacon of hope, like even if it isn't the government that demonstrates the difference in culture in New Zealand and America. Nothing against New Zealand. I like the Kiwis. I just did a mission with a bunch of them uh, down in Antarctica and the salt of the earth, wonderful people, hard workers. And uh, they're a lot of fun. But it's different. Right. They are a commonwealth of a kingdom. Right? We are the United States of America. Right. Liberty is the most important thing. And and it's it's demonstrative of the way they reacted as a people. Okay. So sure it's a company, but that's okay with them, right? That's just that's that's not out of the ordinary. They're okay with that. It's that is a culturally appropriate thing to do, is to ban a book, you know, which is oh my god, it's twelve rules for
0: life. I haven't read it yet. (laughs) But Yeah, find me a book that has less to do with the mass shooter shooting up a mosque. Yeah, Uh jeez like that's insane right
1: so th- the point is New Zealand's values some of their values when it comes to individual liberty individualism in general aren't in line with ours so we shouldn't be holding them up as some beacon that we should be following and anyone who was thinking that in guns and sees what they're doing with free speech now should be embarrassed that they ever said anything before that so um yeah this uh this is and and the worst part is i haven't read the guy's manifesto um, i've uh you know i've heard people talking about it I never direct quotes really but it's from what i've heard this is exactly what the guy wanted he he wanted yeah. to start a civil war in america by causing gun control he wants he wanted to get the liberals up in arms not literally because they, they don't have any guns but you know to get them up in figurative arms so that they ban weapons and there were, and then the conservative people that have been saying molan labe this whole time actually put their money where their mouth is and fight back and they want to he wants to start a civil war in america he wants he threw he did he name dropped just so that people would do what he knew they would do which oh look they said they said candace owen he, he likes candace owen He's a white supremacist. she's black. What the hell? He dropped her name on purpose so that people would do that and people are doing exactly what he he wants them to do
0: yeah. and the the whole media is like a bunch of trained seals. yeah, like fucking God yeah. Man. yeah, you know what this is this is like what's
1: really different now, right? And we talked about this a little bit, but this is like the second big thing that's happened in the last couple of months that really demonstrates. How broken everything is, and how predictably broken everything is, so th- the first one was this whole Covington Catholic thing, where the media jumped all over these kids uh, when you know the, the Native American guy was drumming in their face, and you know the video was cut, where it made it look like this this pretentious little white kid was smirking in the face of some Native American leader at the, in, at the Native American Indigenous People's March, you know, which was just a total lie. Right. So that the way the media reacted was so predictable, right, that it actually all got started by this fake account. Who's like it was it was actually like a guy in Brazil who the but the account was for a woman in California, a fake woman in California. It had a profile picture of some woman. And it was like a teacher in California. That's the original like that's not where the video came from. The video was shot by whoever had the cell phone. Right. But. The original post that got like spun up and and went viral all over and got retweeted a bajillion times and liked a thousand times and, and commented on, you know, whatever. That original post was from a fake account who that's all they do. Like they're trying to just get people up in arms. Like, and like the account was like when Twitter came out, Twitter found that out through their own investigation and they shut down the account and they talked about it. They said like it was some. It was actually a guy in Brazil, even though it said it was a woman from California, and that it basically, what was really suspicious is that it never really took a side. It's that, you know, it, would, it had equally, like, it had equally, um, sorry, it had, it had kind of nasty posts about both sides equally. Like, it was very anti-liberal and very anti-conservative. Like, it was kind of, you couldn't tell, like, if it was a real person, you'd be like, what the hell? Like, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, And it was like in the, in, in like the description, it said fighting for 2020 doesn't say which side, you know, (laughs) like, so it's, it's someone, it's some troll or not even troll. I don't know what the word is. This is literally like a foreign actor who's trying to sow discourse or sorry, just who's trying to sow what's the word discord. Yeah. who's, Who's trying to sow discord in America and it worked. We're so predictable. We're predictably horrible at this, right? The media are so bad at their job that people know which buttons to push and when to push them and how to push them to get us all in a fake frenzy over a fake thing, right? And now this shooter, he did basically the exact same thing and said so in his manifesto, right? He knew the way this would be spun. He knew that targeting Muslims, white supremacists, he knew how all the... the The liberals that all the anti-hate speech liberals would react, how all the gun control people would react, how the gun nuts, as you put it, you know, as the gun lovers would react to the gun control. Like he doesn't have a side here except white supremacy, I suppose. I mean, again, I didn't read his manifesto. That's what I've heard. Right. He's not a conservative. He doesn't like Donald Trump. He's not a Republican. He's He's an Australian. Right. And Cons- he, he, I, it's my understanding he even de- de- uh, he even uh, you know badmouths conservatism itself. Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, so it's not like he's just some maga you know maga hat wearing you know conservative who just doesn't want to pay such high taxes or something. This is a an evil horrible person right who has the very outlying or out, very outlying views. Nothing mainstream about it, right? And yet, he he worked us like a puppet, the West. And he, he we're so bad at it that you can even pronounce your intentions and people will
0: still do it. Yeah, you know, that makes me think, like, if we're going to talk about rhetoric, about political rhetoric, being responsible for something like this, at what point do you have to say that the media... And American society in in general are responsible for creating an environment where that's an effective tactic. Yeah. You know, like at, at what point do you have to say the media is responsible for getting so predictable that somebody knows they can do this and they do it? Yeah. Like if the media like that was the explicit motive for this crime. Yeah. Like the explicit motive for this crime was, you know, besides white supremacy was... Uh, wanting to push the buttons of America. Yeah, yeah to cause so, a civil war. And, you know, I'm not saying like I'm not saying that I think the media is responsible. I'm saying if you're going to apply that standard and say this rhetoric creates an environment where stuff like this happens, well, apply it to that, too. Apply yeah. it to the fact that the media has created an environment where that's an effective tactic to use on America.
1: Yeah, yeah. if we're going to blame rhetoric, then all the media does is rhetoric, right? And the way that they behave is, cent- is what caused this. Now, again, like you're saying, I'm not blaming the media. But if that's the way we're going with this, like, maybe he still would have shot Muslims because he hates Muslims. But his motive, his goal was to start a civil war, and he's going to use all these defects that we have in our system So who's responsible for these defects? We're making a system. We're making a a society, uh, a public domain, public discourse that is that susceptible to manipulation. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like if you really wanted to start the end of the world, if you wanted to start a race war or a civil war or a nuclear war and you were one guy How do you do it? You know what I mean? One, if you have one bullet, who, I mean, who do you get like, it's like Franz Ferdinand or something in world war one. Like, but you know, I don't think, I think the the consensus is that the, the assassin had no idea that all that would happen. Right. Yeah. But then everything changed because of that one assassination. Right. But now we have such a predictably awful system and people are so polarized And so easy to manipulate and lie to. And they run with lies that, like, honestly, like what this guy did, we are demonstrating every day as a society, every day on Twitter, all the politicians, all the people talking about hate speech, talking about gun control, we're demonstrating how right he was, how correct he is about the best tactic for bringing on civil war or the end of the West or whatever... At the end of the world, you know, nuclear war, race war, whatever this guy wanted, chaos. Right? This is how you do it. He's, yeah. We've set up a system where one horrible person can get everybody at each other's throats. And New Zealand is a great example of what happens when people are afraid. They do. They make rash, dumb decisions. Right.
0: And that's what New Zealand has already done. Yeah. Man. And now urgency is considered a virtue right. on the part of, uh, you know, everybody who wants to push gun control in America is now looking at New Zealand and like, look how fast they acted. Like, yeah. it only took one mass shooting and six days later, they already banned assault weapons. Like, why can't we do that?
1: <laughs> yeah. There's a really simple answer.
0: Because it's a bad idea and it's not effective in the Constitution. Yeah. But they're... yeah,
1: <laughs> they don't have one of those. It's my understanding that their, their constitution is their original treaty with the Maori people, the colonizers, the British and the Maori, uh, indigenous people that, that, that treaty is their constitution. And obviously I haven't read it, but I, I doubt it has anything like the second amendment in it or else you couldn't just pass something like this in six days. It would take a huge act by the whole people to change something like that. So
0: yeah. And you know, this is like, Stuff like this makes me think about when, and the, both the right and the left does this. They everybody bitches about Congress not being able to do anything. Yeah, like oh, they're always just talking about stuff and they never actually get anything done. And then, poli- like co- politicians run for Congress or the Senate, uh, you know, promising to do things, like promising to uh, get get past the system of of deadlock and like actually get something done. But this kind of thing demonstrates like it's kind of supposed to be that way. It's kind of supposed to be uh, a system that makes it hard to get things done. Yeah, because we we, don't want to be this reactionary. We want to actually think things through and, you know, yeah, yeah, the the of things and not and not like, make the first emotionally driven policy like these are major policy decisions Yep. on a being, being undertaken on the basis of everyone's first emotional reaction to what just happened
1: yeah and you're i, I forget who said this recently maybe it was ben shapiro said so whenever uh, your your initial reaction to something happening is almost never the right answer like your initial emotional reaction is almost never the right answer you know in any time something happens that's troubling, upsetting or it could be you could be ecstatic, you could be horrified, whatever. Your first reaction, your gut initial reaction, your instinctual response is like almost never the right thing to do when it comes yeah, to Yeah,
0: especially policy. when it comes to policy changes like yeah. on a base uh, on a nationwide scale. Yeah. Like the, the, you know, this is um this is one of Jonathan Haidt's three great lies that he talks about. In, uh In the coddling of the American mind, mm-hmm. he talks about three big lies that have been sold to Americans today and especially the younger generation and uh, um, one of them was you should always trust your feelings yeah. like that's that's one of the lies uh, and it, you, you shouldn't always trust your feelings because your feelings are wrong sometimes <laughs> yeah. like yeah not always like sometimes your feelings you know depending on the situation um You know, in interpersonal situations, your feelings can, can be trusted, I think, probably to a greater degree than they can with, uh, like large scale policy decisions. But yeah, like, you shouldn't always trust your feelings, especially when you're talking about making major policy changes. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a good segue into, to bring it back around to Solzhenitsyn because another one of Jonathan Haidt's rules was that or one of his great lies was that life is a battle between good people and evil people, which is something that people, I think probably on both sides of the political aisle tend to believe now. And that's why we hate each other so much is because we're the good people and the people on the other side are evil people and we need to shut them down, deplatform them, uh, you know, prosecute them in some cases, maybe, Um, but that's, that's horribly misguided. Um, which you'll learn if you read Solzhenitsyn, but so that's, I mean, that's what made me want to read him to, to bring it back around to that. Um, because this reaction that we were talking about before, where everyone wants to demonize the shooter. And it sounds kind of weird to say that because, you know, he, he did a pretty good job of demonizing himself when he did what he did, obviously. Like, clearly he did something evil. Nobody disagrees on that. But the fact that everyone is expected or all political leaders are expected to come out and denounce that in the strongest possible terms. And everybody in our own conversations, we're all like, you know, before we talk about anything else on the subject, we're expected to, by, we expect each other usually to talk about how evil this guy is and how much of a monster he is and how much of a psychopath he is. And I think in a lot of cases we just go overboard to the point where we don't really talk about anything else. And I think what we're doing is we're trying to distance him from the rest of humanity we're trying to make him something that something other than what we are and this is what i talked about in that in my solo episode the other day was um i think we're trying to dehumanize him so we don't have to face the fact that humans have a capacity for evil and so we don't have to face the fact that we ourselves have a capacity for evil and um You know, this is this this famous passage from the Gulag Archipelago where Solzhenitsyn says, you know, uh, paraphrasing, if only it were so simple that there were just a bunch of evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds. And all we had to do was seek them out, destroy them, and then the rest of us could live in harmony. Uh, All of us good people could live in harmony without the influence of all those, those evil people. And, and then he says, but no, that's not the way it is. Because the line between good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And this line will fluctuate throughout a person's life. And sometimes it'll be all the way over here, and they'll be close to being a devil. And other times it'll swing the other way, and they'll be close to sainthood. Um. But yeah it, it, every person has that line um and it's never completely on one side or the other but we i think we want to ignore the evil part we want to ignore the the capacity for evil that we have and so we go completely overboard and we expect everyone to go completely overboard on demonizing the shooter right
1: right so why don't we think about now what's useful about that knowledge, right? So this this reminds me of, you know, a class that we both took uh, at the Naval Academy. And I forget if it was ethics or leadership. It may have been a little bit of both, uh, similar topic, but it, it, I'm almost certain it came up in ethics, right? You know, we talk about these uh, experiments, right? The the prison experiment and, and all these other things. There's so many demonstrations that, uh, that otherwise good and normal people can do horrible things. And I'm not trying to say in any way, this guy was a good and normal person, right? I'm not saying that for all. I know he is, there is something wrong with him. He is whatever, but that's not the point here. All right. I'm just saying uh, we, we talked about even like Nazis and like their stories, like, like there's common foot soldiers or just citizens like women or old, old men, you know, People who weren't, you know, military-age men who were still participating in the system, right? Um, And we see all these people who, before the war, were basically good, virtuous people. And then because of whatever influences, whether it was the crowd or whether it was, you know, some of them were just going along, but some of them were, like, did buy it, you know what I mean, and did evil things when and they never would have thunk it, you know, they never would have thought that before, right? So the point of us learning about that in that class, right? And I remember this was this was kind of like a heavy moment in that class. Was the point of even thinking about that and 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 researching and and studying and like all these examples of of evil people doing evil things is is it's a very eye-opening and heavy moment to realize that like it could have been you, your circumstances have so much out circumstances outside of your control have so much to do with how good or bad you are. Right. And the point there isn't to take, I don't think the point there is to, is to let anyone off the hook for doing awful things. The point is that we need to know how it happens, right? So that we can defend against it. That's why I think when we learn about it in like ethics, Right. And that was sort of the takeaway I had at the time. And, and, and what I'm getting at when I said, what's the practical takeaway from even talking about what you just said, like the heart of the, or the, the line between good and evil goes to the heart of every human is like the practical takeaway that we can take from that is if we know what happens to otherwise good people that makes them do awful things. If we know what happens there or just are aware that it can happen, then maybe, just maybe, we'll be a little bit more prepared to defend against it. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, I don't even know what the answer is. And I don't suppose psychologists know exactly what causes it. I'm sure there's, in all these examples, there's different stuff and you can't know how you're going to act in certain situations. But if you can, it, it seems to me that if you can just acknowledge, that it's possible that even you could do horrible things that makes you more prepared to defend against it, to keep it from happening. If you're conscious of it happening. Right. So, uh, I do think obviously this guy is evil and he is a demon, right? Um, there's no, it's not making an excuse and it's not letting anybody off the hook, but that is a tactic. I think you're right. That we, as a society do, and it's only in places like ethics class, you know what I mean? Or in deep conversations with people that you care about when you actually get into this heavy idea that the only real difference between the most evil people in the world and you is circumstance, some of the time, at least a lot of the time. Shy of a mental disorder or, you know, like psychopathy, or, or if they're a sociopath. So much of it is, is circumstance. You
0: know? Yeah, and that's another line from Solzhenitsyn. He says, uh, this is just after the line between good and evil thing. He says, uh, you know, faced by the, I'm trying to remember how he says it, but faced by the pit into which we are about to cast those who have done us wrong, we halt, stricken dumb. And after all, isn't it only because of circumstance that, they were the executioners and we weren't. Yeah. So it's exactly that idea. Um, and you know, earlier in this chapter, he talks about how he was recruited by the NKVD, the secret, the Soviet secret police and ended up not going, uh, just kind of on a gut feeling that he didn't want to. And they didn't push him that hard to go, but he very could have very easily could have ended up being one of them instead of being a prisoner in the gulags. Um, So he, he says all that, and then again, like you said, not letting anyone off the hook for the evil they've done, or not wanting to let anyone off the hook for the evil they've done. At the end of the chapter, he talks about how these people who have done these things still need to be brought to justice. And the ultimate justice, interestingly, from what he says, he says that people people endlessly want to justify the things they've done and most of the time evil people don't think they're they're evil they think what they're doing is good or at least justified yeah and he says the ultimate justice to bring against people who have done evil is to get them to drop their facade and admit genuinely that what they've done is evil
1: yeah
0: um yeah. so yeah
1: so i think that, that indisputable idea that the line between good and evil runs through the heart of every human being, that, that is so uncomfortable that people don't generally talk about it or think about it. It's literally only in ethics classes. Maybe, maybe I don't know, some churches might talk about it or something uh, in Sunday school, or I don't know. But basically ethics class or just a deep conversation with your friends is the only time this ever comes up and that it's such an uncomfortable thing and i think that's why as society we do that that thing where we they're 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 not even human right right and we don't want to look at it we don't want to look at it that way and none of this is to excuse it i don't know i hate that i have to say that right but sure i'll say that none of this is to excuse anything but the point of looking inward at stuff like this is not to make excuses the point is to keep it from happening again. I'm sure in the Gulag Archipelago, if he's if he's trying to say that, you know, if the takeaway is that, hey, guys, reading this, anyone reading this, this could have been you. And circumstance is the only difference. The point of that is to, once you know that, then you can prevent it. But you can only prevent it if you know it. Right? If you know that you're, that that capacity is within you that's the only way to defend against it you know what i mean so it's like an important realization that we that people should have and and it's it's heavy and troubling but it it's the only way to prevent it on a mass scale right because it's not just the gulags you know it's the french revolution it's you know the the soviet revolution it's it's the fascist takeover of italy and germany it's like when especially when the mob does it when when masses of people start doing stuff people go along with it people do horrible things and this is and it is and they justify it to themselves and and yeah people it's a repeatable experiment that's had it's played itself out over and over again and are we just that virtuous are we that perfect of people have we had such a good upbringing you know and they didn't is that the difference you know, so none of it's an excuse. Like, like you said, like I'm saying, and, and, and like, uh, like Solzhenitsyn. That yeah, that and right? if you
0: read if you read the Gulag Archipelago, you will know yeah. uh, it's very unambiguous that that's not the point at all. Like, yeah, none of the point of this is to excuse anything. Yeah,
1: the point is to learn from it. That if we know that it could have been you, maybe when your time comes and you have a choice, you'll make the right choice. If you just, if you know it's happening.
0: Right. Yeah. You, you know, this, I don't know if you ever saw this movie, but another of my solo episodes that I did on this channel a while ago was, was about the the movie caliber nope. uh, on Netflix, but I started movie,
1: listening to it and you said like spoiler alert and I turned it off. I was like, I, yeah. I might
0: want to watch that. So I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. You should go watch the movie and then listen to it. But okay, anyway, the, the movie it's about a, uh, I'm not, I won't spoil anything for you. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, but it's about these two friends who go hunting and they end up killing a kid, like a total freak accident. Um, like it it genuinely was an accident. They didn't mean, didn't do it on purpose or anything, but they kill a kid while hunting and then they decide they're going to cover it up instead of, you know, owning up to it, to the authorities and, and, uh, dealing with the fallout. But it's a perfect example of of a situation where these guys probably hadn't thought about this before. They they probably hadn't thought about their own capacity for evil and this is what I talked about in the episode. Like they hadn't faced up to that before and so when they were confronted with a situation where it was it was already an ugly situation and they were either going to have to make it you know go through some more uncomfortable stuff and face up to to what they did um or take the easy way out yeah. and do even more evil things to cover it up and they ended up doing even more evil things and it's it's stuff like that it's like it doesn't even have to be uh you know an evil act that was premeditated like this like this shooter like he premeditated this right he planned this and and there wasn't any it wasn't like a spur of the moment thing, like some random freak accident happened and he ended up doing something evil to try to get out of it. Like he, he planned that out, but it doesn't even have to be that like some random life circumstances. This could happen to any of us where some random life circumstances happens and you're thrust into a situation where it's, it's going to be bad either way, but you could make it less bad by doing something hard, but, but right. Right yeah and not compounding the evil by doing something even more evil yeah and so I think if we take the time to think about these things and, and take the time to realize that we are capable of doing evil uh, we'll be more likely to act rightly yeah if those circumstances ever ever come to pass
1: you know it's just armor against against it happening to us you know we're just we're just building our armor against it if we think about it if we think about what does it reading something like the gulag archipelago uh watching something like that movie you know or even in the ethics class when they talk when they go through these examples you know the point of thinking about it and having that realization and learning how it happens by doing so you're strengthening your armor against it happening to you. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and back to the point about um people not wanting to think about this stuff. Another thing Solzhenitsyn says like right after the line the human heart line, he says, and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Yeah. If you like the show, there are many ways you can support it. You can talk about it on your own blog or podcast, you can share it on social media with your friends, or you can leave a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you happen to listen to it. If you're watching on YouTube, you can subscribe to the channel and hit the thumbs up button if you like this video. Or if you really like us, you can support the show directly by going to patreon.com slash philosophication. Thank you so much for your support.